Thank you, Brother Ken. Or do I call you Matt, uh, Master, Master Chief? Master Chief. I almost wanted to say Master Chef, but that's not what I mean. Thank you for that number. Oh, I'd love to hear you sing, you and a few others in the church that God's blessed with a wonderful voice. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5. A couple weeks ago, I told you I had uh, some other little jokes or funny sayings given to me. Here's a, a couple more. It happens to do with marriage. If you don't like them, don't blame me. Somebody in the church gave them to me. Uh, it says here that an archaeologist makes the best husband because the older the wife gets, the more interest he has in her. Uh, another one here says, marriage lets you annoy one special person for the rest of your life. Uh, this one's from Dr. Joyce Brothers. Uh, you've heard her name. Marriage is not just a spiritual communion. communion. It also is a reminder to take the trash out. And, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. You're going to notice when I start reading here that the word free or freedom is used twice in the first sentence. And one commentator I read who knows the Greek, I know a little bit about Greek but not enough to really know, said it's one sentence that has the verb and the noun all come from the same word freedom. So it's interesting. Follow along as I read. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit a righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. When we look at this chapter and we look at the first verse... We are finding ourselves a connection between what has already gone on and, to, and then through the end of the chapter, the book. It is a focal point of the book. And as this verse 1 deals with freedom, liberty, and grace. I want to say off the, at the very beginning that both of those terms can be misunderstood. There can be abuses of not understanding what the Bible talks about when we have freedom. In fact, one author uses the term bad grace by not understanding what it means to have grace and be free in Christ. And I like the term bad grace. The Judaizers of Paul's day were saying something like this. The doctrine of grace is dangerous. You can replace law with license. 
You're literally giving a person the right to, to live in, in sin. Well, actually, that's bad grace. To, to think that way or even to say that is bad grace because the opposite of that is true. The Judaizer were saying that you can abuse grace, but grace understood says we live by faith and we're not going to live a life of sin. A life of grace is a life that is lived through the power of the Holy Spirit. It allows a, a Christian to be disciplined, not from law, but disciplined from grace. We stay away from sin because we know it hurts us and it hurts our Lord ultimately. We obey our Lord. We live for our Lord, not out of duty, but out of love. As I said, this is the focal point of the book, verse 1. Everything that we've studied up to this point has been leading to this verse, and everything we will go through and see from now on is basically built upon the word freedom and being free in Christ. Christians are free. We've given, been given a life of freedom. We are free from the bondage of sin. Jesus said over in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's the position all of us have today who know Christ as Savior. It gives us a life to live in freedom for righteousness and godliness. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The great problem of the Judaizers of that day was a works righteousness. There was an external control over one's life and behavior. And Paul says that leads to bondage, that leads to slavery. Is that not true of all of the cults and isms of our day and age? Setting up standards, setting up rules and regulations. In this text, Paul uses the process of circumcision as his point. And, and, and you could substitute any word in there you want to, any kind of law-keeping term for circumcision. The, the Jews saw it as a guarantee of God's favor. Well, God gave it as a symbol, as a sign for them, but the Jewish people came to believe that it had very significant spiritual value and favor with God. But here, Paul is saying that to be circumcised would invalidate what Christ did on the cross. In a sense, you're saying that what Christ did on the cross wasn't quite enough. It wasn't sufficient. That the work on the cross wasn't sufficient for my salvation or your salvation, is what it would say. Paul really talks very clearly about circumcision over in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. He says, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor a circumcision, merely outward and physical. If a man is a Jew, uh, if he has one inwardly, circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code, such as man's praise, is not of men, but of God. Well, he's saying there very clearly to us that the true circumcision is a circumcision of the heart, something on the inside 
that the Lord does in one's life. As we go through the last two chapters over the next few weeks, you're going to see that it builds upon this. And, and Paul looks at the Christian life, how a Christian lives, their lifestyle, if I can say it that way. That a Christian is to be growing in their faith and walk in the Lord. He's told to be talking about maturity. He's going to talk about how our freedom is displayed in the world. Now, in our text today, we're going to look at one particular problem that can come from bad grace. And we'll look at one in a few weeks. The two problems are this, legalism or license. Legalism, and a lot of people like being legalistic. It's comfortable. If you were raised legalistically like I was, it's very easy because you don't have to make decisions on your own. You, you have that set of rules and regulations that you follow, uh, and as long as you do that, and, and someone who is more in more authority or position than you are, you just obey those and everything's wonderful. And some people are, are frightened with liberty and, and have to make decisions and, and, and let the Lord work in their lives. And so when you're legalistic, you follow a leader who wants to set down rules and regulations and it's easy for decision-making then because you don't have to think. But what he's saying here, and we've said it before, is you end up being in bondage. You become a slave. And as I said, the other problem is license. And this perverts the freedom. A person ends up thinking that I can do anything I want now because I'm free. There are no answers. I have no answers. I don't answer to anybody. I can sin any way I like and get by with it. And of course, there's many examples in Scripture, and we'll talk about those in the days ahead as we look at that particular issue. But today, I want to just deal and focus in on the legalism aspect of it as it points out here in this text. You'll notice, first of all, he talks about legalism. It means that Christ has lost value to you. To trust in legalism and any kind of law-keeping, whether it's circumcision or anything else, you are literally saying, God, what you did through Christ on the cross is not enough. Uh, you're saying to yourself, I need to earn favor with God. One of the issues that you and I need to stand on as a Christian, and it's not necessarily a doctrinal issue, but it can be tied to that, is that we need to come to grips and understand that what Jesus Christ did on the cross paid the price for our salvation, and there can be nothing added to it or taken away from it. It is sufficient. Just before he gave his life, Christ said, it is finished. And it's done. He paid the price. Nothing can be added to it. And nothing can be taken away from it. When we truly understand that truth, that Christ has done it all on the cross for us, it will be a motivation to us to serve Him out of love. To serve other people because we love them as Christ loves them. And we'll never ever want to go back into slavery to sin again. 
Because you see, it's not what Jesus did plus circumcision, as, the, as he uses illustration here. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus because and, and giving a certain amount of money. It's not Jesus and living by the golden rule. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. For any person to say that I have to add to that my works or some kind of action at all, again, it doesn't matter what it is, you're always saying what Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. You're saying that something else is more important, literally. That religious act, that act worked. That level of giving. And what I believe Paul is saying here is when that happens, you are putting a wall or a barrier between you and the cross of Christ. You're, you're putting something there that should not be there. Something that literally has no value in and of itself. And many Christians get off track by becoming legalistic. And I want to say something. It's easy for us to do that. It's much easier for us to do that than to understand that we have freedom in Christ. Our spiritual life can get off track. There's nothing we can add to what Christ did or we cannot help Him out in any way. We need to keep reminding ourselves, I can't do anything to add to what Christ did for me. I can't say anything to stay saved. We are saved when we trust Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. And anything we would add to that only takes away. He also says there to us that legalism, if you go back to that, means you have to keep the whole law. And we've really dealt with this in the past that no one can keep the whole law. But it says if that's where you want to go, you're obligated to hold, take care of and obey the entire law. We can't think that I'll just live by part of the law. I'll just accept these things and forget others. We have to accept the whole law. We have to keep all the demands of the law. And of course, James chapter 2 verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in just one point is guilty of it all. We can't do that. If you were to go through a stop sign on your way home and one of our dear friends pulls up behind you with a blue light going, you can say to the officer as he writes you a ticket, I've never robbed a bank. He'll smile at you. You can say, I've never cheated on a test. He'll smile at you again. You can say, I didn't kick the dog yesterday. He'll just keep smiling and writing you the ticket and hand it to you and say, have a good day. <laughs> the standard's perfection. The standard's perfection. To go back to the law in any way, shape, or form leads us to a place of no value. The Judaizers were there. The Judaizers were saying you cannot be saved until you accept Christ and this. And you hear that today. It's funny, our, our, our Bible class this morning kind of 
jumped into that a little bit. It says you can't be saved, and you'll hear this in some churches, unless you're baptized. You've heard it? Yes, you have. I see the heads. You're not saved until you speak in tongues. You're not saved until you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now look, listen. I believe we ought to be baptized. I believe the Bible teaches that we should be baptized because it is a public announcement that I am now a follower of Christ. I believe it sincerely. But it's not adding anything to your salvation. I have dear friends who speak in tongues. I do not. There might be somebody here who, who does. Because we have freedom in Christ. Even in our congregation. Uh, but that has nothing to do with your salvation. Quite honestly, when we start adding things to salvation about things we do or have done, it can give us a, a, a prideful spirit. We can think we're kind of super spiritual. When we think I, I've kept these rules that have been set up, I'm really something. I keep all these rules in my own strength. Uh, uh, look at me. I'm better than most because I keep these things. Aren't I special? You know, I used to get my hand around there further. But... <laughs> you can get to the place where you say, God, you're really fortunate to have me one of your followers because I'm so much better than these other people. Spiritual pride can come in when we become legalistic. He goes on to say that legalism means we've fallen from grace. We've talked about this. Law and grace do not mix. You can't have them at the same time. Either you're living by law or you're living by grace. You have that freedom in Christ. They're just opposites. Many people think that this verse means that you can lose your salvation. I don't believe that's what it's saying at all. I don't think the Scriptures back that up. There's nothing in Scripture that say that one can be, uh, lose their salvation. But what he is saying is that you are in a position where God's grace is not working in your life because you're trying to keep laws. You're trying to follow after certain rules and regulations. We're not saved by what we do or don't do. Jesus did it all on the cross. We've talked about that. And we're saved when a person, you or I, by faith, accepts what Christ did on that cross. I'm a Baptist by choice. I wasn't raised a Baptist, but I'm a Baptist by choice. And not, no offense, the entrance exam into heaven is, were you a Baptist? No. You are born again. The moment an individual by faith trusts Christ and what He did on the cross as your very own and nothing else. And that's being born again. I love that term, born again. And there's no way we can be unborn. We are a child of God. But He's saying when you turn to law, you're turning away from grace and you're, you're in a, a battle there when you go back to legalism and grace is losing its value to you. For Paul, grace... And his teaching on grace was to enter into salvation, understanding salvation, and to turn to legalism for salvation or anything else. 
clouds that picture. The Judaizers were saying salvation isn't complete until you do certain works. Grace says Jesus did it all. Quite honestly, legalism doesn't please God at all. It offends Him. It says I can do it on my own. There's something I need to do. And we go back to chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, who bewitched you? Who tricked you? Who, who convinced you as something else when grace and freedom are yours? Legalism does not bring a person closer to the Lord. In fact, it brings a barrier between that person and the Lord. Walking in freedom, walking by grace, having our life in grace is trusting Jesus and Him alone. Legalism says we've got to trust something else besides Jesus or on top of Jesus. And quite honestly, when we become legalistic, it confuses not only ourselves, but those around us that we try to witness to. Legalism is literally living in the flesh. John MacArthur has something I want to quote here. It's very eye-opening to me. He says, living by the flesh may even involve doing the right things for the wrong reasons or in the wrong way. For example, to worship God from a heart for, and for our own sake is to live in the Spirit. But to worship Him outwardly only to impress others with a supposed spirituality is to live in the flesh. To witness to a person while trusting in God, to convict them and convert them, is to live in the Spirit. But to witness with the intention of convincing a person with our knowledge of Scripture or our powers of persuasion is to be living in the flesh. No matter how worthy or God-ordained a person's outward activities may be, to perform them in the flesh is to live by the way of the law and not grace. The last thing he talks about legalism here is that it brings a problem with righteousness. Grace means we're forgiven. Grace means we have God's blessing on our life. All Christians have a righteousness that God imputed to us through Christ that is not our own. Let me make it more simple. We're not saved by things we do. The Bible tells us that our works of righteousness are nothing but filthy rags. When it comes to salvation, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. But Christ took our sins upon Him on the cross. And He gives us His righteousness. We're perfect in God's sight because of what Christ did. And talks about the fact that a problem of righteousness would come. And, and Christians are looking for a righteousness, not only that is imputed to us in Christ, but a righteousness that grows daily as we live by faith. Notice there in verse 5, he talks about hope. And we've talked about hope before. Hope isn't just that I hope that something happens. It, we're very dry here. We hope it is going to rain soon. It's nothing like that. Biblically speaking, hope is an assurance it is confidence, a certainty based upon God's promises. We are assured that we are accepted by God because we have placed our faith in Christ. But Paul even here says that there's more righteousness to come. And I think he's talking about the return of Christ. 
that we're going to experience in all of its perfection and fullness when Christ returns. But legalism doesn't do that. It puts out righteousness based upon works, not based upon freedom and grace. When you and I live in freedom and grace, we are living through the power of the Holy Spirit. Legalism means you're depending upon yourself. To live in grace is to depend on what the Holy Spirit guides us, working in our lives, and having Him displayed and seeing that come out through our lives in, in love and serving. Paul says that teachings of the false teachers were empty, but the gospel's not empty. The gospel changes lives. And it comes by grace through faith. And you and I as Christians are, are guided daily by love. Not law. Not rules. The freedom you and I have in Christ is to live to our fullest potential. To live and love others. To love others like Jesus lived and loved others. To live a life that is to please our Lord. Again, not out of duty, but out of love. To live in freedom and grace means to have an inner desire to be more like Jesus. So that people see Jesus in us. So there is a righteousness in us, a godliness in us that people see. The Christian life is about faith. Lived in freedom. And it shows up. As we love people, as we serve people, as we love our Lord, and as we serve Him. Legalism destroys that. That's what Paul says in his text. Are you, let me ask you a question, are you living in freedom today? Do you understand and have you experienced the freedom that Christ has given you? To serve Him to the best of your ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask another question. Are you here today and you don't know that you know Christ as Savior? You might go to church some. You might be a regular attender in church, here or elsewhere. But do you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Do you know that? If you don't, today's the best time to take care of that. And to those of you who know Christ, if you've been trying to live your life through rule-keeping, laws, rituals, find a freedom that Christ gives to live your life through the power of the Holy Spirit and experience the freedom that Paul talked about here today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for these few minutes we've had together here. I thank you for your word. And Father, if there's someone here today who is struggling with a spiritual issue, I just ask your Holy Spirit to prompt them and encourage them to either speak to someone in our church family, come speak to me or Pastor Steve, or just come kneel at this altar and get things right with you today. Encourage us all to live a life of freedom that displays the beauty and glory of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand? We're going to sing an invitation hymn of Just As I Am. Just as I am.
minute. We, you were uh, introduced last week to uh, five individuals that have volunteered uh, to lead a search committee since I'm retiring at the end of this year. Uh, do you have the names up on the screen? There they are. You see the names. Um, comes from uh, the deacons. Um, all in favor of uh, accepting this group as a committee for a search uh, committee, uh, say aye. Aye. Is there opposed? All right. Uh, those uh, have their work cut out for them. <laughs> so uh, I want to, again, just thank each and every one of you for being here today. Our guests, we we're delighted you chose to be with us. I trust the Lord touched your life in one way or another this morning. Uh, be on in prayer for Pastor Steve. He's uh, singing a concert in uh, Doctor's Creek. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Walterboro. Yes. And the folks behind you moved their membership from there to here. So, uh, but anyhow, he's traveling over there for a, a concert tonight. Um, Pastor Kevin Carter. I told him to make sure he keeps a whip in front of him. He used to Pastor Talaith, a good friend of mine. So uh, anyhow, uh, be in prayer as he heads over there, travels and comes back and sings. Uh, Bible study, not tonight, but next Sunday night, the final chapter on Tell Someone. I tell you what, that series has been excellent. And then, uh, Steve, is it the 1st of November then you're going to start? 1st Sunday of November we'll be starting a study on the book of John. Book on, book on John, a Bible study is good. And so... Uh, be thinking about that and praying about it. In, a, in many ways, it's uh, building on what you saw with this uh, DVD series, and it's a book series put out John MacArthur. Um, very, very good material. Um, be thinking and praying about that, and let Steve know that you'd want to uh, join in that study in the beginning of uh, November. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you again for the privilege of gathering together in your name. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, help us to understand what a wonderful freedom you have given to us. Freedom from sin, freedom from the bondage of sin, freedom from uh, our past. Thank you for forgiveness. Encourage all of us in our walk with you. And we say thank you in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.